as I spoke about earlier with most of you in the room here, I talk about the idea of a libertarian as someone who is a real third party. We are actually the only real way to fix this nation, to fix this state. There's no hyperbole there. I'm telling you the reality of it. Because right now, if you look, you can tell we are split more than we've ever been. Left and right is truly split. Libertarian way is the only way that says you don't have to convert. You can stay liberal. You can stay conservative. You just don't use government to change. How do I say that? Why do I say that? Because if you notice, every time I talked through my entire campaign, I gave you real solutions. I didn't just go pander, pander, pander. I actually gave you actual solutions. And I will today. I'm going to give you real solutions on fixing poverty in this city, in this state, actual solutions. Yes, I am. Why do I bring this up? Because we are accustomed, if you watch, to the soundbite still. But the youth, the reason why I'm going to colleges, they're okay with long form. They're okay with a long conversation. How many people here saw me on either Joe Rogan, Dave Rubin, Dave Smith, one of those? Yeah. Yep, over half the room. Yes, absolutely. Right? That's a long form. Right? I did Glenn Beck was an hour and 15. Dave Rubin was an hour. Um, um, Joe Rogan was two hours long. And people listened. Why did they listen? Because I actually said stuff. But listen to a regular everyday politician, listen to them, have an interview. All they do is pander. No actual answers, they pander. We'll talk about it today. Talk about poverty. Why do I bring up poverty? Because people will always say, libertarians don't care about the poor. They will always say that constantly. Don't care about the poor. I would argue we're the only ones who care about the poor. We're the only ones who want actual long-term solutions to pull people out of poverty, to get people back on their feet. We are the only ones who care. We're the only ones of actual solutions. How do I know this? I grew up in the South Bronx. My family was Democrats. Have you been to the South Bronx recently? Is it much better all of a sudden? No, it isn't much better all of a sudden. They've been Democrats for how many years now? Sorry, how many decades now? Is it better? We scream about the gap between rich and poor. We've been screaming about that gap for what, 40 years now? We've had Democrats in charge, Republicans in charge, Democratic Congress, Republican Congress, Democrat president, Republican president, and the gap keeps getting wider because there's no real answer for anything. It is pander, pander, pander. The answer is actually ownership. It's a long-term answer, that's true, but it's the only real answer. We have an option, a long-term real cultural shift and a change, or keep hoping somehow this time they'll have the plan that will work. As the taxes keep going up, people keep getting poorer, the culture of being dependent upon a program keeps growing and we don't move forward. And we don't move forward. All right, talk about the first part of ownership. Homes, owning homes. What has been the answer of the government for owning homes? What's been the answer nationally and locally? Nationally, the answer has been Fannie Mae, right? Freddie Mac, let's, let's just back people and force banks to give bad loans to people and encourage them to give bad loans, encourage them to do that. Now that wasn't the reason, but that was part of the reason for the crash. And when the crash came, how many poor people did well in the crash? Yeah, none. The rich got richer and the poor got poorer. 
Because when you base stuff on the market like that, those big programs, what happens? And you guys in finance know this. The big finance guys, they've got 100 guys who have $5 million or more, and then 300 guys who have $2 million or less. And when they see the crash coming, what do they do? They tell the top guys the crash is coming, they all get liquid, and all the other guys get burned. There's literally a name for that. It's called burning your books. They burn their books. The people of middle class get hammered. You're smiling because you've heard it before. Yes. This, Sorry, you got hammered. Yes, exactly. The middle class gets hammered. The wealthy all have money. Because when the crash comes, what happens? All real estate uh, prices go down. So who's going to buy those assets? The people who are liquid. Who's liquid? The wealthy. They buy up all the assets. The rich get richer. The poor get poorer. And you also have something else. Who are the vast majority of people who had those bad loans? People of color. People of color. But I thought Democrats love people of color. I thought Republicans I thought the free market would help. It wasn't the free market. It was a government market. They called free market. It wasn't free market. Democrats didn't care. They put these things into, into play. It's not the answer. What's the answer locally now? Locally, the answer is one of, one of three things. One, federal oversight. That'll fix it. Federal oversight, when has that ever worked? Yeah, never. I'm gonna give you a quick list of when it's worked. Done, never worked ever, but that's the answer. What's the next answer to give you? The, new, the newer ones are lawsuits against, against landlords because when you have a lawsuit against a wealthy landlord, what happens? You're in, uh, in real estate management. When there's a lawsuit against a wealthy landlord, he's wealthy, what happens? Nothing. He has lawyers on, on his payroll. He has lawyers and retainer. He's always suing. Hence guys like Donald Trump, who are real estate guys. And they've been in, what, 4,000 lawsuits? They literally have lawyers on retention. No big deal for them. What if you're a small landlord? What happens? You get sued. You're finished. You're finished. These lawsuits don't help either. Or the next thing they have, next thing they have here in New York City... We're going to have licenses for landlords. Licenses, because then we'll know we have good landlords because we'll give them a license and we'll show them how to be a good landlord. Guess how much that license costs? $200,000. How are you going to do that if you, if you are just a regular, average, everyday person trying to buy that next house or rent out your basement or make some money on your property? How are you going to handle that? You're not. You can't. And if it costs you that much, guess what the fines and fees will be? Huge. Again, a fine or a fee for doing something wrong. You're a big landlord. What does that mean? Nothing. That's part of your business. What if you're a small landlord? You're finished. That's what's happening now. That's happening now. I'm saying change that. Because the next thing that winds up happening for people who are poor is, of course, gentrification. That's how it works, right? Gentrification. And all people go, oh, I hate gentrification. Why do people hate gentrification? Because they're renters. But imagine if they were owners. Imagine if people in public housing or low-income housing were owners of that property. Would they hate gentrification? Not at all. Their asset value goes up. They choose who to rent to if they rent. They choose to sell or buy if they want to. Ownership is the answer. 
And there's been programs that have done this. I bring this up. I brought it through the campaign. It happened in London. London started allowing people to purchase their public housing. And the thing I get all the time is, Bavara, we're going to start giving people houses? No, we're paying their rent now in perpetuity. That's our current model. Pay the rent now in perpetuity. Never let them get out from a rent issue, ever. Let the wealthy landlords keep making money or give people an opportunity to purchase their own apartment. What will happen? Some of them will stay. Some of them will rent. What will you have? You'll have mixed social classes. How do I know that? Happened in London already. You'll have people who will voluntarily mix. Right now we are so segregated. In New York City, we're segregated. We're not talking Alabama, Mississippi. We're talking New York, we're segregated. How about changing that? That might shift things. How about allowing people to do that? How about changing zoning? How about doing that? How about ending the terrible problem with the war on drugs, which has crushed people of color for 50 years? Crushed people of color for 50 years because you're a person, you, you got, uh, got a drug conviction, you can't go in public housing. You can't go and you don't get a chance to have that. Why? You get punished now forever? That's because Democrats love you? Or is that because Republicans love you? Which one? Neither. Thank you. Neither, my friend. You got it right. Neither love you. I'm the one telling you, you did your time. Get out. Get, your, get back on your feet. You want to start to fix this? Step one, give people ownership of their homes or apartments. You start doing that, you will see things get better. But not just that. How about tiny houses? What do you want to stop tiny houses in New York City? I know about that. Well, tiny houses don't have code or the DOB. How about let people have tiny houses, smaller houses they can actually afford to buy and have some ownership as a way of starting their life to have equity in their own home. They can then sell for a bigger house or buy two tiny houses and knock them down and make a big one or whatever. Instead of us deciding that that's not safe, we instead decide you must be punished in perpetuity. You will have no chance of ever growing because our codes say a small house is not good enough for you. But you can let poor people, sorry, you can let homeless people live on a box. That's okay. Homeless in a box is fine or homeless in a dangerous shelter where people are literally being abused and raped. That's fine, but not a tiny house. Because I love you, right? Is that why? No one talks about this except this party, except guys like me who are saying, what's a long-term solution? But that isn't enough. I wish that was enough. We also need ownership of businesses. Did any of you happen to see there was a Netflix special, I think it was Killer Mike, talked about the idea of Black-owned businesses. Anybody remember, happen to see that one? You did see that. Okay, yeah. So in that, in that episode, he talked about the idea of if you were to try to live in a world where you only bought from minority-owned businesses that currently you couldn't do it. And he was so upset, he literally said something, which it sounds crazy, but I hope you'll get the concept. He actually said there was an advantage to segregation. He said, at least with segregation, you had to have black-owned businesses because you couldn't go to the white ones. I know it sounds crazy, I know. But the concept is a real concept. Imagine if the local people in a local poor area actually own their own businesses. If you could go to a locally owned business, 
It is hard to find in poor areas, in food deserts, in ghettos, barrios, trail parks. It's hard to find them. What are in most of these areas? You might notice, what are they? Franchises, often known by other franchise owners who often don't even live in the same state, who don't even live in the same state. You could have a guy who lives in Connecticut who could own three McDonald's in Queens. And we wonder why we can't get out of our, our poverty. There used to be a local guy who ran that, but we can't. What are some of the reasons behind that? Why? Now, I'm not against franchises, be clear. I'm not against franchises. Franchises are amazing and they're great. In fact, they're great, particularly for those of us who are veterans. It's a very great for veterans to experiment and get into entrepreneurship. I love, love franchises. They're great. The problem is they are too powerful in this market now. There's a place for franchises, there absolutely is. But they dominate. Why do they dominate? Because if you own, you own a diner, as an example, you don't have a lobbying firm. You don't have a lawyer. You don't have all these things. You don't have automation that's being, you don't have R&D automation being done for you. But if you own a Denny's or a McDonald's or a Friendly's, yeah, you do. Yeah, you're paying your X percent every year. So you get that R&D for automation. So when the, the wage goes up, to, uh, you know, whatever, $15 an hour, you're prepared for it. You're ready for it. When the laws change, you've already got your legal department that can set you up. When the regulations change, in fact, when you want regulations to change, your lobby will change it for you. Don't forget, when it comes to all these business regulations, because that's the answer. The answer is always one of two things. One, heavy regulation, or two, bribe big business to come here. Let me cover both of those two. Heavy regulation. When you regulate a huge big business or a business in general, an industry, when you regulate it, who writes the regulations, if I know? You got it. Corporate lobbyists. Is that the correct? Corporate lobbyists actually write the, the actual regulation. That's correct. They write it. And they always do it in the guise of safety. So what do they do? They do things like this. We should make sure that if you're a restaurant owner, as an example, that because what safety is, is, a, is a, a burger that's never out under, I'm making these numbers up totally, 40 degrees. And if you have a burger out under 40 degrees, that's a $10,000 fine because somebody might be hurt. Sounds great. Somebody might be hurt. If you're a big business and that happens, what do you do? That goes up to somebody else. Someone else takes care of that. In fact, what they often do, you may or may not know this, they'll take all of the fines and fees in a given area, take them all together at the end of the year, go to New York City, and then negotiate a price for them. Yes, negotiate a price. So this, whatever, I don't know how many McDonald's they're off. For the sake of argument, there are 400 McDonald's in New York City. If they get a bunch of fines and fees, corporate McDonald's takes all the fines and fees, goes up to New York City, says, hey, we owe you guys $10 million. We'll give you 2 million bucks today. New York City goes, okay, boom, done. But how about you, your diner? 10,000 bucks, you're finished under safety, under safety. How about instead you just say, if, you, if someone gets sick in your restaurant, you can be sued. How about that? Yeah. That would actually make the crime that you commit against the individual, not against the state. But the city wants its cut. <clears throat> These regulations are to keep small business down and to feed the beast that is New York City and New York State. That's what they're there for. The second thing we do is we bribe big business to come in because that'll save it, right? We'll bribe Amazon to come in. We'll bribe insert other company to come in. 
Let me give you a list of all the times bribing companies have come in and it's worked and they've met all their numbers. Finished. It's never worked ever. Ever. Never has what numbers they say, what jobs they promised, it has never worked. In fact, sometimes it's gone so bad, I think it was DeWitt, if I'm not mistaken, upstate New York, they had to sell back the property to the local area for a dollar because the state was spending so much money in maintenance. They sold it back for a dollar. Tens of millions of tax dollars went into that and gone. Think about Amazon. Amazon, we bribed them $3 billion. I know not in the check, but over the course of time, we bribed them $3 billion. And they said no. Think about that. How bad is your state or city when you have to bribe someone $3 billion and they say no? You bribe me $3 billion, I'll move to the moon for two years. Happily, happily, they said no. Here's what actually happens. Big business comes in, they have bribes. They're already big business. Therefore they dominate by default. What do they do? They take all the good talent that's in the local area gone. They then put all the business that even close to them out of business because they can't compete. Five years later, bribes go away. That business leaves ghost town. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It's not the answer, not the answer. Here's what the actual answer is. Number one, stop with all this professional licensing. Change licensing to certifications. The big difference, the one I use all the time, licensing. Do you know if you want to braid hair in New York City, you have to get a license, right? The license will cost you about $20,000. To braid hair, to braid hair, I'm not making it up. There are thousands of licenses in New York state and all they are are barriers to entry for the poor. That's all they are. That's it. When I was a kid, I grew up in the South Bronx, the Yankee Stadium, where I grew up. And I remember that we used to have people who would make money on the side all the time. We used to have people, there used to always be girls who would braid hair on the stoop for money. That was the norm. We used to have guys, and they always used to either be Dominican or Puerto Rican. I don't know why that was the case, but when I was a kid, they always were one of those two. They would bang out dents in cars, and fix cars all the time. This is back in the day when they used to actually make cars out of metal. Some of you old ones know that. They used to make cars out of metal. They'd be banging out stuff and buffing and making nice new cars for money. Sometimes we'd be washing cars for money. Cabs didn't come to my neighborhood. So what used to happen? We didn't have Uber. We didn't have Lyft. Instead, we had Jissy Cabs. A guy would take one of his doors and paint one of his doors a different color, and you knew that was Gypsy Cat. That was legal. No one bothered you. So we made money. My father got me out of the Bronx by being a part-time DJ. My father was in law enforcement. Couldn't make, couldn't make enough money to get. He was, a, he was a, a CEO at Rikers Island. Couldn't make enough money to get us out of the Bronx. So he had to be a, uh, this is the 70s, disco. So he's a disco DJ. He would do it, he would do it on the weekends with my mom. And that's how we made extra money so we can get out. That's what it's about, small business. What you will find in any brown or black communities, a general rule, there are many immigrants there. And what is strong in those communities? The entrepreneurial spirit. Very strong in those communities. We are crushing it. Openly crushing it. Entrepreneurial businesses is the way for us to grow people out of poverty. Owning your own business owning your own home. Do you care about gentrification? No, you embrace it if that happens. You also decide if it gentrifies or not. 
because you own it. You decide if you sell or if you rent. You pick. You pick. Not some wealthy real estate developer. You pick. But I'm still not done. Cannabis. Goes back to the war on drugs. You will find me offering up the war on drugs. The war on drugs has done more to keep brown people and black people down than any other government program ever. Hands down, no different, no, no doubt whatsoever. The war on drugs has done more to keep brown and, people, uh, brown and black people down than anything else. And now it's affecting white people in Appalachia and white people in, in trailer parks now too, with the opioid crisis, it's affecting them also. It's crushing black people with crack epidemic for 30 years. Now it's affecting everybody. The war on drugs is a disaster. Nothing but hurting, nothing but hurting. Let me go here, what, is it, what do I mean by that? Now we're starting to say, you know what? Maybe cannabis should be legalized now. How about that? We're thinking about that. His majesty, King Andrew II, blatantly lied to us and said that he was gonna legalize it last year. I told you all he was lying. He was lying. Of course he was. The only way he'll ever legalize it is if his cronies and big business make a bunch of money from it, his friends, which is what's happening in California and what's happening in Colorado. You may or may not know this. In, in California, they're having a problem with the black market. What? How's that possible? I thought marijuana was legal in, in California. It is, but it's so heavily taxed that people still buy in the black market. There's a bunch of farmers in Northern California who are selling in the black market. So what is the government's answer? Clearly the right answer is lower taxes to match, right? No, take cops to go in there, confiscate, then hire, I'm not joking, hire vendors to burn it. That's the answer. Send troops in to take people's private property, then spend more taxpayer money to get vendors to burn it. That's our answer. We should be ashamed of ourselves. There's a second piece to this. Not only do only big businesses get it, but guess what else happens? If you have a conviction for a drug offense, you can't be in the industry. How stupid is that? That is so stupid on so many levels. First off, because the huge chunk percentage-wise of people arrested for drug offenses are brown and black, to guarantee you or not it's true. And they have the worst sentences. I'm not being racist, that is a fact. Look it up, you think I'm crazy, that's a fact. So now they come out. They literally have the experience required to work in this field. There's no one more qualified to sell drugs than someone who sold drugs. Literally, you have exactly the qualifications to do so. And you can't be in. So you just screwed up three times. Number one, the industry will suffer because the talent required to run it isn't there. The best talent isn't there, number one. Number two, people who need jobs can't get jobs. So now you're keeping people poor. Number three, those people will now go back to jail because they're gonna sell it anyway because it's what they know how to do, which means we taxpayers are now paying for them again. The war on drugs is a disaster. It hurts business, it hurts homes, as I mentioned. But if we just do what I said, which was regulate cannabis like onions. There was a meme that came out, if you, some of you might have paid attention to it. The meme that came out online said, Larry Sharp, if you like your dealer, keep your dealer. <laughs> That's true. Because when I talked about it, if you, were, if you were a weed dealer, right now you deal weed, right? And now after Cuomo was elected, you still deal weed. 
nothing changed. You still do it. But now you may have a firearm on you. You might because you're afraid. You may have a weapon on you. You might because you're afraid. And you don't pay taxes. If I had won the governorship, I was a regular like onions. The guy or gal would have said, huh, I sell weed. But if I just look at a license, an LLC, just an LLC or an S corp, not a special license, I just incorporate. I can use courts and cops. I don't have to carry a gun. I don't have to use street justice when people don't buy, don't pay. I don't have to worry. I can get a, a storefront. I'll do that. And guess what? They're paying taxes. They're paying taxes. They're now a business owner. They can grow. They can use banks now. They can take out loans now. So even that would work. But I'm not done. The next part of ownership is owning your job. Yes, owning your job. Some of you may not know this, but the biggest threat to us right now as workers is not immigrants, it's not big business, it's none of those two things. It's automation, it's AI, it's technology, it's those things. That's our biggest issue. That's our biggest concern. We have to somehow figure out how to deal with that. Right now, this is a gig economy. You might know what the gig economy is? Gig economy means there are a lot of people who just work from job to job. A lot of them. Well, unemployment's as low as it can be. Yeah, because no one's looking for jobs anymore. This is because the economy is so awesome. It's because people aren't looking for work anymore. They're all, they're all their own LLC. They're, own their, 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 they're all their own consulting company. They're their own gig economy. They're their own entrepreneur. Those people are starting to make some money and move forward. But what's happening is regulation is crushing it for several reasons. Number one, again, the prison industrial complex crushes small business owners yet again. It also crushes the individual who wants to own his own job. Because if you have a record, where can you go if you've got a record? Tough. Why aren't we expunging records at one point, allowing people to get a good chance at a good job again? Why aren't we allowing people who are felons, allowing people who've made a mistake to have a chance at a second chance at life, to own a business? Why aren't we doing that? Instead, what do we do? They get stuck in, in poverty, they go back to jail again, we pay for them. We can change that. But I'm still not done. This was like my licensing piece I mentioned before. Licensing. Licensing should be certifications instead. What does that mean? A difference. If it's licensing, it means you must do what the government tells you to do or we will punish you, shut you down, or we will uh, fine you. I'm not against standards. The government can have standards. Let the government have its own standards. Here is what New York State or New York City thinks is appropriate to do this certain thing. If you follow those guidelines, we'll give you a New York City stamp or we'll give you a New York State stamp. But don't just have that. Also have the private sector. Also, in addition to state and or city, why can't industries have their own standards? Why can't there be a hairdresser's union that comes up with their own standards what they think is appropriate for a hairdresser to have? Why can't we do that? Why can't we have multiple groups? Maybe a trade association has it. Four or five. Why? Why would you want four or five standards? Because monopoly is bad. Government monopoly is no better. Monopoly of standards is bad. But if I have three, four, five of the standards, guess what? They will compete against each other. Even insurance companies could have standards. If they'll insure you or not, you must follow certain standards. And guess who gets to decide what hairdresser they go to? 
the consumer. You decide, do you care or do you not? Here is a good general rule on licensing. Would you ask your friend to do it? And I'll ask you, would you ask your friend to cut your hair? Would you? Yes or no, would you? You might, yes. So why is your license? Would you ask your friend to walk your dog? Would you ask your friend to walk your dog? Sure, there's a license for that in New York State. Yeah, a license to walk a dog. Would you ask your friend, why do you have a license? Would you ask your friend to say, remove your gallbladder? Get a license for that, I'm fine. That's fine, right? Get a license for things you wouldn't ask your friend to do. But if you would ask your friend to do it, why is there a license? You can ask notifications and you'll pick. If I want to get a licensed hair braider, I can choose to go to one. If I like you braiding my hair, you can braid my hair. As long as we agree. You do that, you will see people begin to own their own jobs. They'll stop being lawn, their own lawn, their own lawn mowers. They will fix things. Go ahead. Yes, please. I have a question. How do you ensure safety? I, I mean, I love that. I'll touch that right now. Sure. Can you right now go to Walmart and buy clippers? You can. Can you cut your son, daughter, friend's hair right now? Can you? But you can, right? I mean, legally, you can, right? Is it happening literally millions of times throughout the country? Is it or no? Are people cutting their friend's hair right now across the country millions of, millions of times? Yep. Where are all the deaths? Nowhere. It doesn't exist. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. It's I'm scared. Literally, across this country, millions of people are cutting hair with those clippers and people aren't dying. When I was in the Marine Corps, there'd be a guy, and you guys who are in the military know this, there's a guy every weekend who sits in the, uh, in the showers and decides if you want to cut hair. You pay him two, three bucks. Well, that's what it was back in the age, that's what it is now. The guy sits down there, he'll shave and give you a haircut, and you leave. Guess how many people got sick or ill? Zero. That is a fantasy. It does not happen. Zero got sick. Not one in a million, zero. Doesn't happen. But I'll give you a more important one than that. A more important one than that. Health food stores. Do you guys know health food stores? You go buy supplements or organic food, think of that sort, right? You might buy vitamins or maybe some organic vegetables, those types of things, right? Some herbal teas, right? All those sort of things, right? They are very, very lightly regulated. I mean, almost none, almost none. Almost nothing in that store is regulated. Almost nothing. Almost nothing. Where are all the deaths from health food stores? These are things you're putting in your body. This isn't cutting. I'm putting these things in my body, into the body of my children. Where are all the deaths from health food stores? Nowhere. It is a fantasy. It is a fear. It is a fantasy. Nowhere. Why? Because health food stores have their own standards, plus the industry has standards, plus they're insured. Insurance companies have standards. When do regulations change? When corporate lobbyists change them. When do standards change? Whenever the standards need to be changed, as the industry changes. Now, hold on, ask a question. If you were to go to the health food store, and let's say, for example, there was a product in the health food store that if you took it, the odds are very high you get, you get addicted and you start doing stupid things that would hurt you and others. If that was true, there was a product in the health food store that that actually happened. What would happen to that product? Yeah. 
Yes, it would right away. And I have one example of that. In all the years I've been around health food stores, there's been one example of something similar to that, ephedra. Remember ephedra? About 15, 20 years ago, once in 15 to 20 years, and once it was found out it was a problem, it was off the shelves in about 30 days. Gone. Gone. But let me ask, is there a product right now that you might get addicted to, do dumb things, hurt people? Yes, with opioids. Completely and absolutely okayed by the FDA, the monopoly on regulations, the government. The FDA has killed and or maimed millions of people, millions upon millions of people with no repercussions whatsoever. None. If you actually got hurt by a health food store product, you could sue somebody and probably get some money. You probably could. You get hurt by an FDA product, what happens? You become part of a class action lawsuit. The lawyers get tons of money. The company says, we did nothing wrong because we followed the regulations, writes a big check to the government, and then each of those people, seven years later, gets $9.45. That's the current model. And you're telling me I'm worried about whether people will be safe or not? The FDA is your example. And people are dying and being maimed literally every day. Over 100 people killed, uh, die, I'll say kill themselves, but die from themselves because they're, they overdose on opioids. Every day, at least 100 people die of opioids abuse. The vast majority of this opioid abuse started from an FDA-approved prescription, over 80%. Your fear, I get it, is a fear. It's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. There's no data to support that whatsoever. In fact, the reverse is true. When you monopolize anything, you make it worse. When you allow others to compete against each other, you make it better. And I talk about something that you put in your mouth, in your mouth of children. You want to make that happen? Make it better? That's the model you follow. You follow the health food store model, not the FDA model. Did I answer your question at least? Was that a yes, I answered it? Yes. You may not agree. It's, it, by the way, it's okay if you don't agree with my answer. I just want to make sure that I at least answered it. You might think I'm wrong or crazy. That's fine. I don't want you to think I dodged the question. Did I answer the question? You, you, you addressed it. I think I still would prefer that these, uh, you know, the chemicals to kill the germs of the But no, no, you, my point, I'm sorry. You, you're assuming that, and this is a very important piece. You're assuming that if no government, then nothing. I'm not assuming that. I'm saying government can still exist, absolutely, and still have standards, but just doesn't punish you if you don't choose to use them. So you can go to any hairdresser and go, hey, do you have a license? No, thank you, I'm out. No worries, thank you, I'm out. You have a license? I do, awesome, take care of my hair. So it doesn't mean, here's the thing to remember, for most people believe this, they believe if no government, then nothing. It's not true. It's not what I'm saying. You have never heard me say, and every time I've been speaking, ever say, end it, abolish it, destroy it. Never said that. I said, add other things to make it better. It will force the government to be better. Because if the government is, if the government stamp is so unnecessary for braiding hair, then the industry will create a separate hair braiding certificate. And the government will have to act or no one will get their certificate. So they will actually make the government certification better. And that's the goal. My goal is more people safe while having more people become part of the process. Is that better answer your question? There we go. See, I did it. I didn't want to fail. Thank you. All right, so let me keep going if I could. I also want us to understand this to be a separate type of mindset. And this is specifically for people who are poor, heavily based on people who are people of color. And that is 
when they get educated, they very often get education and push themselves into areas that don't make much money, that require them to work for government. It's very common. They do things like social work. Very common. Why? It's what they see. Nursing. Why? It's what they see. Try to find people of color who get the reason finance. You do. That much come out of social work. Where's the money? Finance. Find people of color who get degrees in tech. You do. Very few. Compared to criminal justice. Big difference. There's a mindset change we have to put into poor communities. And that begins the idea of ownership of your own business and ownership of your own job to start thinking about your actual future, not just being someone who wants to work for the government. Look in poor communities. Poor communities very often have a horrible relationship with, with, with the government. It is punishing them and helping them together. How can you hit government when it's putting you in jail but hiring your uncle? How can you hate government when it's making sure you can't get out of poverty, but it's the only job half your family has? That has to change. That is heavily in poor communities and more in communities of color. That has to change. But there's one more thing I want to bring up. That is ownership of yourself and your future. Not simply allowing inertia to take charge. You know how many times I heard people, I said, why'd you get this job? And this is what they answer. They were hiring. You've heard that before. Who's hiring? That's the job people go for. Look at someone who's wealthy. How many of them took a job for somebody who was hiring? Zero. Zero. They went after the job they wanted. Poor people don't do that. It's a cultural issue. They look for who's hiring. Then they take the test and hope they get hired. They allow inertia to run their lives. Of course you're going to stay in poverty. Of course you are. That mindset has to change and that begins with education. Literally, and those of you who know my education plan, my education plan talked with the idea of kids starting to make decisions at 16 years old. Starting to decide, do I want to go into a trade? Do I want to go to school for college? Do I want to start a business? What do I want to do starting now? The price for failure at 16 is nothing compared to the price of failure at 26. But not just that. At 16, you start making decisions. You start realizing you have some control over your life. It's not inertia. You can pick and choose. And we stop our high schools right now, who all they do is heavily push our kids into college when some of our kids don't want to go to college. What is our answer for that? Free college. What a disaster that is. And I'll give you reasons why it is. Number one, it's not free. It's taxpayer funded. That's not free. Now, if you already went to college and you went to say a SUNY school, now it's free, your degree that you paid for now is less value. Because now over time people say this, oh, that's the free school. That's what's going to happen. The brand value of your degree, if you are a current SUNY student, is going to go down now. Thank you, your majesty, King Andrew II for that. That's number one, but I'm done. Not just that, kids are now picking schools because they're free. 
That's the wrong reason to pick a school. You should pick a school because it's the right school for you and or your future. That makes total sense. But people are picking it because it's free. Worse, they're going to school because it's free, not because they want to go to school. Their parents are pushing them into school. Why? Because it's free. Because we've been told a lie for the past 30 years, and that is going to college, you'll get more money. That's a lie. That's been a lie for at least 20 years. At least 20 years. That's a lie. College is not the only way to success. It is a way to success. And we should stop picking college because it's right for us and picking a college because that college is right for us. But picking college because it's free is actively hurting our youth. Picking a college, specific college because it's free, is also hurting our youth. And who picks free college? Poor families. Poor families pick free college. So we're by default giving poor kids a worse education. By default. That's what free college does. It gives poor kids worse education. And if you're in a free college right now, you know it. I hear it all the time. I travel the country. I, mean, I travel the state. I went to all city counties. And when I talk to the youth, they tell me the same thing. Yeah, my free school, like nobody wants to be in it. They're all screwing around. Yeah. And I know that's true because right now, you can do your homework. You think I'm making this up? This is live streaming. So if I'm lying, I'm going to be busted. Do your own homework. Right now, the average kid to graduate college takes six years. That's the average. Six years. If they, even take, if, they, if they even graduate. It's not working, guys. It's not working. That has to change. But I'm still not done. We got to come up with two other things that matter. No, and they're both ways of getting people off of public assistance. The current system of public assistance is a disaster. It is so embarrassingly bad. When I think about it sometimes, I want to vomit. If you, the current system, if you are a single mom with two kids, you're stupid to work. The system's against you. Why would you work? You will literally make less money, spend less time with your kids, and be more unhappy with our current system. And we wonder why people are staying home watching Maury. Why wouldn't they? We're asking them to. And the number one reason why is we are actually encouraging people who are in the bureaucracy. How are they judged? Are they judged by how many people get off public assistance? No, they're judged by how effectively and efficiently they give people public assistance. That's how they're rewarded. When you have that kind of system, what do they do? Give everybody public assistance and as best they possibly can. That's how you're rewarding them. But imagine if you reward them instead when people get off public assistance. Wouldn't the entire system change? That's impossible. I have an example of it right now. It's called recruiters. People who are recruiters. When do they get paid? When people get a job. Somehow the industry is still thriving. Somehow they're making money. There are examples of that working. It can work. Of course it can. That may not be the exact model. Of course not. But how about that being the goal at least? The goal is getting people off of assistance. And a couple ideas that came up with the red that I talked about in the campaign. One was the idea of changing child care and allowing for what I call child gardens. Is that what you and I just talked about? Leaving a, a government option and non-government option. Child garden, I ask you a question. Does anybody, you have kids, right? Yes, All right, so do you ever take your kids to a park? Of course. Good. All right, I have kids too, as you know. 
So if I asked you, if you're going to a park, and you said, hey, Larry, I'm going to the park. And I said, awesome. Would you do me a favor, take my daughter? And you and I agree, you take my daughter to the park, and we give you like five bucks of ice cream or something. So for him to do that, to take his kids and my daughter to the park, assuming we both agree, does he require a license right now? He doesn't. And he shouldn't, right? This goes back to if I'd asked my friend to do it, why is there a license, right? He can do it if he wants to. We agree. So how about we change it, make a, a law, local only within the county, that I can swap out him, instead of for him, I can swap out that same agreement with a, non, a nonprofit, a nonprofit. So now I can have a child guarded. It's not him anymore. My agreement is with my local church, my local VFW, my local American Legion, right? My local Lions Club, my local Knights of Columbus, my local insert thing here. Those of you who have some gray hair like me, you might remember back in the day, churches used to have a whole lot of health care, I mean, child care. You remember, yes, you do, my friend. They got regulated out. They got regulated out of the business. How about instead you make an agreement? Now I know your point. But Larry, what if they need to have background checks? Then ask your church to have background checks. It's voluntary. You don't have to do it. It just gives you an option. But then what about child care? It still exists. If you want a licensed child care professional, please take your kid to a licensed child care professional. Your choice. But if you want to go to a church that you trust or a, a Lights of Columbus that you trust, you want to drop your kid off there, you can make whatever deal you want. That's not child care, it's a child garden. I'm allowing Lights of Columbus to take my child to their backyard for the day while I go off to work. What does that mean? Cheap health care for the poor. I'm sorry, cheap child care for the poor. And they can create whatever standards they want. But more importantly, there are tons, and if you know this in poor communities, there are tons of churches, particularly black churches, that are struggling. This could make them all vibrant again. Because what's that church going to say? Larry, you want to take your kid? Yeah, take my kid. What's my price? Show up on Sunday. Not just that. We got bingo on Thursday night. You're calling bingo. You got it. I'm calling bingo. You take my kid. I can go to work now. I can go to work now without paying for childcare. I got a shot at making it to the next level, but I'm still not done. And if you think something's better, I'm happy to make it better. I'm still not done. Not just that, we have to have some kind of insurance for public assistance. Cause right now, once you make X dollars, you lose everything. You lose everything. So why would you get a job for a high amount? You lose everything. I mean, for a low amount, you, wouldn't, you would never start an entry level job. But if you're on public assistance, guess what? Your resume's broken because you're on public assistance. So your resume's broken. Or maybe you are in jail. Your resume's broken. You can't get a very good job. You've got to start from scratch. If you work your way up, you lose all your benefits. So why don't we have a state-sponsored idea to where for every $2 over the max you make, you only lose one and one comes in. So you can grow your way up out of public assistance. This is something no one talks about. It can be done. We have a system that systematically pushes the poor into staying poor. We can change them. We can make policies that will change these things. If we do that, we'll begin to eventually change culture. And that's the number one issue I'm gonna do. I wanna change a culture of poverty that we have. You will hear people say, well, the poor, the poor, the poor like they're a caste and we're in India. 
I'm sure you hear it. You know, we have to help brown and black people. Like we're all the same and we all sit in a cast or something. It's not true. If we make the right system, we'll make people be able to step up. Will some not step up? Of course. Is this perfect? Of course not. It's not perfect at all. Here's what I promise you. It is way better than now and way better than anything any Democrat or any Republican is talking about. Way better. What they are talking about is more of the same. More of the same that will keep our people who, who, if you love people who are poor, keep them in poverty forever. Or we can change the culture and get people to realize they can move up. I used to sell um, in poor areas and rich areas. I used to do some selling door to door. And one of the guys told me, you're going to make a lot more money in the poor communities. And I said, why? Why would I, why would I do that? He said, remember something. If you go to poor communities, there are a lot of people in poor communities who've given up. And I said, what were you talking about? He said, they've given up. See, so if you go there to buy for them to get to buy something big, they'll buy something big because they have no hope of buying a house ever. They have no hope of buying a car ever. So you give them something cool to buy, they'll buy it to feel good because they have no hope of buying anything bigger. And I thought he was lying. He was right. That was enlightening for me. I didn't get it, but I should have. Because when I was in the Bronx, told you my father, he was a corrections officer, made good money. We live in the South Bronx, true story. In the 70s, and those of you all don't know this, we owned a Lincoln Continental with thick white wall tires. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Couldn't afford to put gas in it, but man, it looked good out front. <laughs> I was the same mindset as a kid. My family was the same mindset as a kid. We bought a brand new, coolest car. And those of you know that area, that was a cool car in the 70s. That was a very cool car. We had that car and we couldn't afford to put gas in it. That mindset has to change. I didn't realize I was part of it too until someone else showed me. If we change that culture, we can change how the poor are in this country. We can make people go back up in the ladder again. We can make change and actually something else. We can make it to where we innovate, which is important for everybody in this country. I hope I answered your questions. This is how we will actually fix poverty and my ownership matters. Thank you. I am open to any questions or comments. In the past, I know I only took questions about the gubernatorial uh, race last year. Now I'll take questions about anything you want. I don't mind to include that if you care about that, but anything you like. Go ahead, please. Uh, okay, I get a question often. Will I run again? Why am I doing this? Will I run again? Here's the reality. I took a year and a half off of my life last year running. I did not get a salary for a year and a half. Imagine what would happen to you if you didn't work for a year and a half, right? Imagine that. Wherever your finances would be, that's where mine are. I have a wife with no kid, with two kids. My wife does not work. I live in Queens. You can imagine my bills. Not just that, the five people who are running, four of them were getting government checks. I was the only one not doing it. The system is set up for the establishment. Literally, they were all, you were paying all of them to run except me. So what I have to do, I had to ask you for money. If I'm asking money, those of you who don't know what happened, when I started my campaign, I wrote myself a check for $10,000. Why did I do that? Because I was going to ask you all for money. And many of you gave. Those of you gave, thank you. Those of you gave, thank you so much. But I couldn't ask you for money if I wouldn't do it myself. Right? I am a Marine, 
And I do believe I'm never going to ask my troops to do anything that I wouldn't do. Right? I'm not going to send you into the fight if I wouldn't go into the fight. So I'm not going to ask you for money if I put my own money in. So I put my own money in my own skin in the game. Then I ask you all for money. I'm not going to ask you for a bunch of money again and invest everything again for nothing. If I run for, for mayor, I'm going to lose and make no impact. Why would I ask you all for money and sacrifice for that? If you're a Republican in this room and you supported the Republican candidate last year, you literally took your money and you threw it in the garbage. Literally, you took your money, you put it in the toilet and you flushed it. That's what you did because he lost. His policies are not used at all because his policies were bogus because he was never going to win anyway. And where is he? Nowhere. Back in his own area. He's done for. You threw your money in the garbage. If you supported me, either through time, money, or energy, and thank you for those of you who did, that was an investment. Why? I'm still here. I'm still trying to fix this state. You invested in me, and I'm still here. But not just that. You know, the L train's not shut down. Did you notice that? You notice who idea that was? Disguise. Disguise. I'm the one who said, look in other cities and find answers. It take, in the MTA, it takes, we, we charge four times more to fix a mile of track in the MTA New York City, than any other city in the world. And I said, London has a metro. Paris has a metro. Cities have metros. Berlin has a metro. They have unions. They have safety issues. Go check it out. They did. They found an answer. L train's not shut down. Still screwed up, but not shut down. Saved a bunch of businesses. Yeah, me. Not just that. You guys know I was pro Second Amendment. I wanted to get rid of the SAFE Act. And my idea was to start non-enforcement. That's happening in Western New York right now as we speak. It's already happening now. The ideas I talked about are actually happening. Republicans are not. In fact, the Democrats aren't either because he wanted to realize marijuana. He's not doing that. But not just that. You guys remember I had the idea of leasing out naming rights to bridges and tunnels to raise money. D.C. and Florida are looking at that right now. So your, your answer is, I don't want to run for something just to win or just to run. The reason why I ran was to make change. If I run for, for mayor, I'll ask you all for money. You'll throw money in the garbage. I'm not doing that. What, hold on, almost done. Would I run for governor again in 2022? I would. I'm considering that. I would. I would run again because if I, right now, the way it is, I'm basically guaranteed third place for sure. Right now, if I run again in 2022, I'm guaranteed third place. If I keep doing well and the Republican Party keeps collapsing, I'll get second place. That's impact. That's impact. That will change this state. That I would do. That's worth me asking you for money. That's worth me asking you for your time. That's worth me investing my money. That's worth me investing my time. So that's why I'm probably not going to run again until maybe 22 if I run at all. So why am I here? Because we're not done. That's the reason why. Here's what most uh, politicians do. I'm sorry? That is correct. We are not done. You just said don't believe it. Who said that? This whole time you said everything that agrees with both parties. Or everybody, everything you said I agree with. Oh, good. Everything you said I agree with. And those are all libertarian ideas. You also said that being part of the libertarian party, unless you get a lot of people to change, you've got to have it. We already have two parties, so why don't you become a libertarian? That's not what I said at all. I don't know why you got that. Did, I, did anybody else think I said that? Okay, good, it's just you, no worries. Good, okay, good. So what I actually was saying is the reverse. The two parties are saying nothing of value. The only party saying something is this. Those of you who haven't heard me speak before have never heard these ideas because no one else talks about them. No one else talks about them. 
unless you went on my website or heard me speak, this is the first time you've heard these things because no one talks about them. So I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying the Jen party is the only party that's actually talking about these things. If I run Democrat, I will not be heard at all. Nothing would have been heard. I've been pushed to the side like Cynthia Nixon, forgotten. That's how most do it. Cynthia Nixon ran, lost, went back home. Oh, well. Mark Molnar ran, lost, went back home. Oh, well. Howie Hawkins ran, lost, went back home. Oh, well. Stephanie Minor run and didn't register. As of February, how many people are in her Sam party registered in New York State? Zero. Not even her. She didn't register her own party. Zero are registered. She's still registered Democrat. Zero. Libertarians, prior to the election, less than 8,000. Now, over 20,000. Yeah, I'm not done. That's why. Because my ideas matter. Because I can influence the policy. I can influence Democrats. I can influence Republicans. And more importantly, this man can help me to grow out the Queen's Party. To get you more interested. To get you involved. To get you supporting. To get you running. To get you helping candidates. That's why I'm for doing it. Did I answer your question? Awesome. Go ahead. Um, I'm a student biosupport. Uh, I'm not in the best financial situation in terms of my family. Yep. But uh, I don't really have any um, like excessive bills. I just pay a little bit to my dad. So I have the ability to save money for my future. Like I want to um, own yep. a business. I also want to own property. Yep. However, there are many older people who have who are tied down with responsibilities. Like yep. Kids, uh, bills and stuff like that. So um, owning a business or starting a business is very expensive. They either need a good down payment, which many probably don't have because they're short on cash, or uh, they need to take out a loan. Mm -hmm. okay? However, um, <laughs> you're, you're going to do neither. If they do, what if they just wipe out their IRAs to fund it, um, there's still a risk that their business may fail. 100%. A statistic that 9 out of 10 businesses fail within the first five years. It's 9 out of 10, so, it's 4 to 5. Oh, 4 out of 5. It's 4 to 5. Um, if that happens and they lose their investment, they're totally done for. So, like, what do you think your solution is? Yeah, the, it's the future, if you notice, right? The future of all small businesses, the, the number one thing is you're starting it online. You're starting your presence online, which is free, right? You're starting your presence online. And if you want to go buy a store, awesome, good for you. I hope you guys have enough cash to buy a store or buy your business. It's amazing. I hope you can. The second thing you do is oh, buy a franchise. Franchise success rate is far higher than non-franchise. I think it's something like the reverse, like four to five franchises actually survive. Franchises are, are expensive though, which is why you find so many immigrants buy franchises, right? Immigrants come and they buy, they get the whole family together and they buy a franchise. Very common because the success rate's much higher. So franchise is one thing, that's one option. The second option is start online. Whatever you're doing, begin your presence online. Whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. But the other thing to remember is, try to get in something that isn't licensed, isn't regulated. Try to get in something that's not licensed, not regulated. In New York State, wow, is that hard. I'm just being very forward. That's hard. And if I'm governor, that will change. That's exactly my issue of these two right here, which we just talked about is my issue. If you want to start, I'm not joking, if you want to start a hair braiding business, it's $20,000. So what do people do? You guys have been to Harlem, right? They just open it up anyway. That's what they do. They open it up anyway. Poor communities open up anyway and hope the cops don't hammer them. I hate that, but that's what people do all the time. They open up their own businesses and they hope cops don't hammer them, right? But the sad part is when the inspector comes, they keep some cash aside. I know you guys hate me saying this, 
But if you're in the business, you know I'm telling the truth. You, I see heads nodding. You keep some cash aside. When that guy walks up, he's the inspector. You go, oh, did you drop this? I'm not joking. You say, oh, did you drop this? It's 300 bucks. Did you drop that? He goes, I did drop that. I'm sorry. He walks out. That's what happens. I wish that wasn't true. But when you create so much regulation, you are asking for a black market. You are begging for a black market. And that happens. In your case, I would either buy a franchise to get that money, buy a franchise, never franchise, start your presence online, or do something you think is safe that's not regulated. That answer your question? Yes. Awesome. And I think that was you. Go ahead. Yes. I have a, a rather strange question. No worries. What in your view, and I don't mean the weak link, but what in your view is the weakest link in your ideas? I don't know what that means. In other words, I don't know uh, the question. criticism of libertarianism would you consider to be most uh, valid? Oh, what, what the gentleman said. He's right. We have this two party system. Okay. This is hard to implement. The biggest issue is that he, he's right. It's hard. Gentleman Front was not actually a Democrat. These guys are right. This is hard. No, but the I mean, biggest, the, the weakest piece is. What I mean, like in terms of the libertarian philosophy, what would you consider if you're, I don't mean that you're dishonest, but if you're I'm making a self evaluation of the idea itself, what is the, what is the thing that maybe. Do you mean maybe the hardest for people to grasp? Um, okay. Yeah. Here's the issue. Libertarian philosophy is a philosophy that says, you know better than I do for your own life. Libertarian philosophy says, we were built, this country was built on three ideas, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. No parties talk about that except us. I want you to achieve happiness, which means you know what's best for you. It's difficult for me to say it's wrong, except I don't, what's bad about that? I don't see a, a bad thing in any of it to be forward with you. Even if you fail or do poorly or whatever, if it's your life, you own your life, you own your world. I don't know how there's something bad about that. Maybe I'm, I'm misunderstanding your question. Well, I mean, I guess in the sense that, that every idea has got some uh, complexity to it, right? Yeah, they all do. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what is True. The, in other words, and I know that this is a tough question because you're running. No, I don't mind. And that's not the kind of thing that you want to say. When you're promoting no, your no, no, no. I want to say it. No, no, this is important. This is good. I, I, if I had to guess, I might say education. Because it's difficult to change education with people who've been through the system. I think that might be the hardest one. Because to say I want to change education for people who've been through and say, well, I did fine. I think that becomes the hardest. And to tell people education system is broken. But then how do we how do we move through it? Do we lose students on the way through it? Do we lose generation of kids? My argument with that is we already have. But if we start changing education now, we start losing kids. We're losing it now, by the way. Education right now in New York State, you know this if you've gone through it. If you can afford tutors or staying home with your parents, with your kids, your kids will do well. If you can't afford tutors, your kids will struggle. The new system is a disaster, and we've we actually lost entire generation of kids, particularly with math, the Common Core. What a disaster that was! We've lost generation of kids. So, probably education. I think if there's a hardest one, it's that. It's getting people to understand that the government doesn't have all the answers. The centralized control is not the answer. That's probably the hardest one. Did I answer your question at least? Um, I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean if, if I understand, you mean that you would have these um, educational policies. 
give you more choice and that there may be people who- And people would fall through the cracks and people would fail. Yes, probably education starts one. I would argue now that it's already failing massively, but I think that's a hard one. Great, so I'm gonna back away. My favorite Democrat Republican president? Yeah. Wow, that's hard. <laughs> no, it's hard. Um, because every president had a lot of flaws. So favorite, could I say my least worst? Would that be fair enough? Yeah. Okay, because I don't like any presidents. So my, I, I have two least worst presidents. Um, one of them was probably George Washington because he voluntarily stepped down. Right, and that's a very libertarian thing to do. He voluntarily stepped down. So a lot of problems, obviously. I mean, Whiskey Rebellion, the guy was a slave owner, lots of problems, but I'm going least worst. is a guy who actually relinquished power. So I think that's probably my, and was he a federalist? What was, I don't remember what he was. Yeah, he, was, he didn't like parties. So maybe the best thing was a federalist maybe, but anyway, probably him. Um, maybe Coolidge, maybe Coolidge, because he was very much hands-off. So maybe Coolidge, if I do that. So probably those. Um, but from a favorite, meaning a, a good person, believe it or not, it's gonna sound crazy, was Carter. Carter was the only president in recent history who didn't bomb anybody. The only one. Every other president bombed somebody. Every other president bombed somebody. Carter didn't. So, I mean, he was bad, he was bad in many ways, but again, you're going least worst. At least he didn't bomb people. I'll give him that one, he didn't bomb anybody. So there's something good there. Was that helpful? Good, excellent. Any someone else had a question or comment? Go ahead, please. Uh, just to add to this gentleman's commentary, usually the failures of the business, the people have a lot of people that first. Absolutely, yes. The, the la you'll find it very often. Something to remember, every business goes out of business in the long run for one reason. One reason only is that the core reason why it goes out of business. Runs out of money. At one point, it runs out of money. At one point, it can't pay its bills. It's gone. That's the last straw. And think about among people who you know who've gone out of business. How many of them, the last straw, was a government bill? Yep. Tax bill, regulation bill, fine, fee, penalty. So many times, that's the last straw. You are exactly correct. Thank you for that. But yes. Um, like both party Republican Democrats, they both have a lot in like different demographics of based on race and religion. And part of that, at least, is because those different demographics will be the other party that hates them, like wants something bad to happen to them or the people. Yep. So how do you think, do you think the Libertarian Party can yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Identity politics is alive and well. No question alive and well. And the reason why the Libertarian Party, I think, has the only chance of being successful is we don't require you to hate anybody else. We don't. We don't require you to do so, right? You don't have to hate other people, right? You don't have to. You humanize everybody, right? Respect is our issue. When I was upstate New York, it's very funny. Um, I'm a New York City guy, clearly. Born and raised in New York City. I'd be upstate and people would think, Larry, you're conservative. Why? Because I respect conservatives. Whether I'm conservative or not, I respect them. I respect your right 
to be conservative. When I'm in New York, you're a liberal. Why? Because I respect liberals. I respect your right to be liberal. You can be who you want to be. In today's world, when a conservative, when a conservative calls a liberal liberal, that's not a descriptor, that's an insult. When a liberal calls conservative conservative, that's not a descriptive, that's an insult. When I call someone that, it's a descriptor. I, I'm okay with either of them. The party allows you to not hate someone else. Now there's good and bad to that. The good thing is, it's difficult for people to kind of know where they should fit in our tribe. Cause we're not a tribe. For those of you who are new to the Libertarian Party, one thing you'll learn very fast, if you're new, we fight a lot. Yes. We argue a lot, like a lot, lot. We argue a lot all the time we argue. Constant, yeah, you know it. Constantly we argue. Well, how can you guys argue if you're all one party? People will tell you, and I say this all the time, the Libertarian Party is physically conservative and socially liberal. It's not really true. It's not really true. The party itself kind of as a whole kind of becomes that a little bit, but the individuals in the party, some are very conservative, some are very liberal. Absolutely. The only difference is they don't want to use force to force the person to be like them. What they often want to do is leave people alone. You'll find in New York State, Libertarian Party tends to lean right. Why? It's a blue state. That means conservatives tend to get beat up in this state. So what happens? They come to us because we respect them. Come, be conservative mind. Just don't pass laws that, that stop you from being liberal and we're good. We'll leave you alone. We'll let you be conservative as much as you want. Just don't force anyone else to be it. We'll be good. Go to Oklahoma. What do you find? Leans left. Why? Oklahoma's a red state. So in Oklahoma, the left is often attacked and punished. So what do they do? They come to us. What do we say? Be liberal. We don't mind. Great. Just don't force the people to be like you. These liberals you want to be. All good. All good. Do you remember one of the guys who ran for governor in, in Oklahoma? He was an openly gay, an, or an openly gay tiger zoo owner. Yes. Yes. That's Oklahoma. Yeah, libertarians. Yes. So big difference. My running mate in New York State was a militia member. We're going to fight. I'm going to fight a lot. But there's a difference, though. An argument between two libertarians, and we had lots of them, always end in one of two ways. One, you're a jerk, or a worse word. Or, you're not a real libertarian. That's how it ends. <laughs> but it doesn't end with, there ought to be a law to stop people like you. It never ends with that. There ought to be a law to stop what you do. It doesn't end with that. Because we don't believe in coercion. We believe in persuasion. So I want to win that argument because I want you to want to be like me. I don't want to force you to be like me, which means we argue, which means you can still be you and be part of our party. So identity politics doesn't work very well in our party. It doesn't. It doesn't work very well. But if you want identity politics, there's two parties for you. Therefore, you're ready. We're there for you. You don't need us for that. That at least answer your question? Yeah. Awesome. Go ahead. Um, question. How can we educate people 
Yes, two things. I want to be clear. You used the wrong word. The word was argument. I do not want us to have arguments. I do not want us to have debates. If you listen to me speak, I will say this a thousand times and I won't stop saying it because it's so critical. I want us to have conversations. If you debate or you argue, you are not winning. If you win that debate, you've lost the voter. If you win that argument, you've lost the voter. When you argue or debate, there's a winner and a loser. I don't want winners and losers. I want people to understand who we are as humans. I don't want to call uh, liberal conservative because that means they dehumanized us and we don't count. So that's number one, conversation number two. Focus on the outcomes. If you notice everything I talked about, I talked about the outcome. What will we get at the end? Because here's the thing. Most of us in this room, in this state, in this country, most of us want the same outcome. Not all, but most of us do. If we focus on the outcome, now we bring the outcome. The question becomes, how do we get there? Now it's a conversation. Now someone says, no, I don't want business owners to do anything. I only want big business to run things. Got it. You don't have to talk anymore. If you think the only answer is big business, now libertarian, have a nice day. Enjoy. But if you think you want people to be successful, to include big business and franchises and small business and workers and people who are employers and employees, I'm in. How do we make that happen? Let's discuss that. Focus on the outcomes and have discussions. Remember something. The vast majority of people don't become libertarian overnight. Just don't. It takes two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten conversations. Those of you who've been to many libertarian events, you're probably libertarian now or becoming it very much. This is your first or second one, not libertarian yet. All you're thinking is, these guys are pretty cool. All right, it's fine. That Larry guy is handsome. I know you're thinking that. <laughs> but anyway, you're thinking that. But you're probably not sold yet. And I don't expect you to be. But I hope if you're not libertarian now, you at least have said to yourself, you know what? This just doesn't say. I should pay attention again. And I hope the next time you hear it again. And I hope you eventually become libertarian. The answer is don't try to make a libertarian today. I hope you all join the libertarian. It'd be amazing if you do. Not required. I hope you see me as a person who cares, who agrees the same outcomes that you agree with, and we have a real conversation about that. That's what I want. Does that answer your question? Awesome. Good. Any question or comments? Go ahead, please. Yeah, let's say about like this stuff, like you can say about, about cultures and yep. Like, when I see the stuff go online, they gain, they gain, like, financial success. Well, you know, they gain, they gain, like, economic meltdown. Sure. Like, holders, you don't get killed, holders, you close down. Yep. And then of owning local businesses. Does your, do you feel like you own your own community? If you don't, why would you care about it? If someone else owns it, why would you care about it? If you have no, I'll give you something else. And this is a lot of people earlier today talked about the idea of socialism. You upset about socialism, you mentioned it. Let me bring this up real fast. Imagine if you would, some of you are young enough to, to know this, you're, you're under 30. If you're under 30 years old and you were the, Standard, typical American. 
you were given participation trophies your entire life. You got a closet full of them. You were told you were special because you were born. That's why you're special. You were told that if you go to school, get good grades, go to college, that there'd be a job waiting for you. Follow the rules and you'll be fine. But if you left 2008, 2010, 12, 14, 16, 18, what was there for you? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing was there for you. Nothing was there for you. Your peer group doesn't own much. Probably doesn't own a car. Definitely doesn't own a house. Definitely doesn't own a house. Probably doesn't own a car. If they live in a city, then they have at least two roommates, maybe three or four. Live outside of a the city, they live with their parents. Then, then what is their life filled with? Social media. What do you see in social media? Everyone's avatar. And boy, are they having a good time. Way better than you. And what do you feel like? You feel like you were lied to. You feel like you were lied to. And this is the sad part. You were. You were lied to. Because you have in that college degree didn't guarantee, didn't guarantee you anything. In fact, you got, your college degree was pretty much worthless because you're now a barista. Or you're working in fast food. And you got a college degree. And you don't own anything. So when Uncle Bernie says, hey, socialism, what do you think? Not a bad idea from those people who stole my future and lied to me. And so many people will say, those youngsters, they want not something for nothing. No, they don't. They feel like they were robbed and they want justice. They feel like they were robbed and they want justice. Am I saying socialism is the answer? Of course not. I gave you the actual answers. I'm not saying it's the answer. I'm saying we have to look at them and go, I get where your head is. Let's have a conversation. Not, you're some selfish millennial. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. Helpful is, I get it. Let's find some answers for you, brother. Let's find some answers for you, sister. Let's make something happen for you. That is what we have to do. And that's why I want conversation, not yelling. Remember something. People who are afraid make bad decisions. This is human nature. When groups of people are afraid, they cry for either socialism or a strong man. Uncle Bernie or AOC, that's the socialism. Trump the God King, that's strong man. So they asked for it. The problem is neither is the right answer. Both end up in dictatorship. They're different roads, totally different roads, but they end up in dictatorship. So we can't just go, Trump's evil for you lefties. That's not gonna work, guys. And for you righties, socialism's evil, Bernie's evil. Not gonna work, guys. What's gonna work? Real answers, having some empathy, realizing why. And I'll, I'll do the right too. People aren't right. I hear all the time. I just heard this with a friend just yesterday. Friend telling me, all these Trump supporters, they're all racist and evil. That's what he said. I have met many Trump supporters. Very few are racist and evil. Some are. Very few are. Most, they actually feel, they feel like they've been ignored, but they've been disrespected. That's what they feel. And they feel like Trump was the only guy talking to him. Just like if you're in the left, if you're young, you feel like Bernie's the only guy talking to you. All of 2016 you did. I'm not sure about now, now more people talking to you. But 2016, you felt like only Bernie was talking to you. You didn't think Hillary was talking to you. You thought Bernie was. 
Keep that in mind. I'm not saying they're right. I'm not going to support Trump. I'm not going to support Bernie next year. I'm going to support Libertarian candidate, whoever that person is. That's who I'm supporting. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that people who support Bernie or Trump or whoever Democrats, Biden, whoever the guy is, or Trump, doesn't mean they're bad people. I'm sure some of them are because they're bad people out there. But the odds are most of them are just people who think this guy or gal is the one who's talking to me. So how about this? We talk to them instead and show them that we'll talk to them. Here's the problem with our party. You brought up a very big, a good point. We're a small party. We are. We're a small party. Last election cycle, 2016, we got 3% of the vote. That's not a lot. We're a small party, but we are a national party. What does that mean? You are our ambassadors. You are ambassadors. So please don't argue. Please don't fight. Please don't debate. Talk. And because someone happens to be more left than you or more right than you, does it make them evil? They might be, but let's assume they're not because most of them aren't. Let's assume they're not and have a conversation instead. I hope ideas like I came will give you some good ideas. Hope you see where my head is. Hope that will help. Did I answer? Whose question was that? That was, thank you, my friend. Any other questions or comments? Awesome. Thank you guys. I'm here for selfies. Go to Thank you.